Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the Week 13 College Football Betting Preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Man, we've had a light weekday slate, but we have a lot to get to as far as bowl eligibility, divisions being decided. Uh, It's that time of the year. What's going on, my friend? We have no room to sit here and celebrate and talk about our lovely Akron Zips covering a game, almost winning a game outright. You know, spots matter. I mean, that, that plays so big into this weekend. When teams have nothing to play for, it shows. Miami of Ohio was that last night, and Minnesota may be a victim of it here coming up. Yeah, and by the way, I didn't bet Akron, and they finally covered. Uh, I had the under, <laughs> though, and I thought that Ak- an Akron pick six, which I never thought I would see. They're usually the ones throwing pick sixes. Uh, would have cost me that under, but luckily it got to the window. Uh, we'll get to the lone Friday night game later as well as our Moneyline underdogs and our uh, favorite overdogs, which is our favorite favorite for those not familiar. But first, let's just run through... By conference here, we'll start with the AAC. First of all, USF, who plays Memphis, has to win out uh-huh. to become bowl eligible. Uh, in the West, Navy, SMU, and Memphis are tied at 5-1. and one. SMU and Navy will play each other. Memphis has beat both of them. So if Memphis you know, wins out, they have Cincy on deck. They're going to win the West. In the East, Cincy's at 6-0. and oh. So if they win out, you know, and they have Temple at home, and then they play Memphis, they win. But if they lose out, which is certainly possible, UCF and Temple are at 4-2. and two. So if Temple plays Cincy this week, if they win that game, and then they have, I think, UConn at home next week, and then if UCF wins out, you know, and Cincy loses out, those three teams could be tied. And then it comes down to who's rated higher in the college football playoffs, and it might not be either of them, and then it could come down to the computer rankings, and uh, I think actually UCF would get the nod in a three-way tiebreaker. But... Let's start with SMU Navy. Navy's a three and a half point favorite uh, over under 66. The SMU overstreak will look to continue. I think they've hit an over in every single game this year. Here's where I think this game comes down to. There's no Roberson for SMU, which I think does hurt their offense. I think that they'll be able to hit some big plays through the air and move the ball against Navy as teams that are capable through the air have been able to do. Uh, But I also think Navy will be able to move the ball. Uh, against SMU. And I think the difference will come down to red zone efficiency. And that has been the biggest bugaboo for SMU this year. Uh, I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, a lot of this, if you look at the red zone efficiency stats, it looks like Navy's number two in the nation in red zone scoring at 96.9%. Only Georgia's better. They've scored touchdowns on 27 of 32 trips. That's about 85%. Meanwhile, SMU's 99th at about 78%, and they've scored touchdowns only on 61% of their trips. So, you know, the SMU offensive line also has issues, which I think Navy can take advantage of. But I think that's basically what it comes down to in a game where I think both teams will move the ball. I think Navy will put up more sixes in the red zone. Uh, What are your thoughts there? Yeah, this game I think is going to be absolute bonkers crazy, much like it was last year when Sonny Dykes went into overtime against Navy. And instead of just, you know, scoring his touchdown and taking his extra point, he decided to go for two points successfully and win the game. So, I mean, this thing could be just as close as that was last year when Sonny Dykes made that move. You know, I've got this number at three and a half. Every time it gets to four, it gets whacked. When it gets down to three, it gets whacked. There's a real battle going on with this number here. And you would think that Navy's going to get up off the mat after what Notre Dame did to them and they would rebound here and we would see the Navy that we we've come to know and love throughout the year but there are just things with 
the numbers that really kind of scare me. And I understand that SMU's got some hurt wide receivers. You know, they're not at completely at full strength, but, you know, Pache is still there. And, you know, but, you know, Bichelle is still going to be able to zip the ball around. And that's one of the things that SMU does best. Uh, my issue with Navy is that they're 89th in pass explosiveness, which Ian Book completely exposed. Ian Book had four touchdowns by the middle of the second quarter. One of them was a 70-yard explosive pass just over the top of the Navy defense from the very beginning. And I could just see SMU trying to do the same thing. You know, the special teams here favors Navy. You know, there's other things in the advanced stats on the ground that should favor Navy. You know, I just think Navy's going to have a really tough time with SMU's explosiveness. Uh, That Notre Dame game and what Ian Book did against Navy is really the template of how to get past the triple option, how to get past how good Navy is in the trench. Uh, They just went completely over the top. I, I do think Navy will be able to move the ball as well. I mean, SMU has a good defensive line. They create a lot of havoc, but it's I, it's not going to be as you know important this week. They're middle of the pack when it comes to the really important stats, you know, power, success, mm-hmm. and, and stuff rate. So I do think Navy will be able to move the ball as well. Yes or no, the SMU overstreet continues. It continues, of course. There's going to be a lot of points uh, here. All right, let's uh, move on to UCF Tulane. Uh, UCF is a six-point favorite at Tulane down there in Yulman Stadium in New Orleans, over, under, sitting at 69. Nice. I mean, there should be a lot of points in this one as well. Tulane's been a team I've loved all year. This might be a spot where I back them. What do you see here? When I made the stat sheet out on this, one thing caught my attention immediately, and that is that Central Florida is 32nd in the nation in explosive passing. That we knew. Tulane's defensive pass explosiveness rank 122nd, and that is just screaming for Dylan Gabriel to throw it all over the all over the yard. Uh, Central Florida's covered just once in their past seven games, so they need you know they need a game to what we call get healthy. Uh, both teams are top 25 in passing success rate defensively, so maybe that could point to the under there. The red zone points per attempt. Uh, Tulane is sixth. UCF is 57th. So, I mean, there's something there for Tulane that once they get it into finishing drives range, they've been able to get way more points. Uh, both teams are bottom 10 in FBS for penalty yards, which kind of kept me off this game because, I mean, these whether it's just bad play or sloppy or coaching or just mismanage of games, both these teams are really bad in penalty yards. And so it's a, it's a no play for me and a little worried about how Tulane defends the explosive pass. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, what, what this will probably come down to is can Gabriel hit those bombs that he throws, right? Like we Mm -hmm. saw him be a little inaccurate against Cincinnati, but you know, a lot of their (laughs) offense is also little outs and just efficient passing down the field, but that's what Tulane excels at, right? So Tulane doesn't really allow a team to move down the field through the air efficiently, but they do, you know, because they play aggressive on the outside, allow big plays. So I think that it's going to come down to how many of those big plays can UCF hit down the field. Yeah, some would say that Gabriel is completely accurate because he hits the other team right in the numbers. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll be looking green wave here, so keep an eye on the app there. Um, all right, then let's move on to Temple, Cincinnati. Temple's a covering machine. They have a lot of advanced uh-huh. stats that worry me and are concerning, but they just find ways to cover, it seems, every week. They're sitting at 7-3 and three on the year. They're catching 10 at Cincinnati, uh, who obviously – can win out and go to the AAC championship, I believe, for the first time. Over-unders at 46. You know, two good defenses here, two offenses that do have some question marks. What do you see here? I think I'm going to be putting money down on Temple because I make this game Cincy minus 8.5. And, and, you know, Cincinnati, I've preached this over and over and over. And besides the UConn game, Cincinnati is due for a loss. I mean, they they really escaped with, with South Florida, you know, what going one for five from field goals, had a, had a game-winning field goal that they completely missed. And, you know, East Carolina, we need a Holton Aylers pick six for, for Cincinnati to get out of there. South Florida had 150 more yards. Tulsa had 60 more yards, but went, you know, net negative three in turnovers against the Bearcats. Uh, Houston, same story. So Cincinnati's really been kind of, you know, they're at the roulette wheel and they're just still spinning and, and, and they're going to get they're going to get all their chips wiped off the board here by somebody. It could be against Memphis twice. Who knows? Uh, Fickleman that Desmond Ritter, you know, he isn't hurt, but he's having a confidence issue. So it's more of a, you know, what's going on between the ears with Ritter right now. It's nothing like physical that's wrong with him. And Temple is 16th in defensive passing success rate and 25th in sack rate against a Cincinnati offensive line that is 85th in sack rate. So the Owls are going to be able to bring pressure. And if Ritter doesn't get it, you know, clear in his head what he's doing, he's going to feel the pressure this week. Uh, But I think Temple's going to be motivated. I think the number is a couple points too high. And and so, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be having a a Temple play here and and probably even maybe a money line going down. Yep. I want to go back to 
USF, you know, similar spread here to get well catching double digits against Memphis, uh, which is sitting around 14, 14 and a half. I did see you put a play. Is that just a line play or do you like something there? There's a huge Havoc mismatch between South Florida and Memphis. Uh, you know, South Florida's 20th in Havoc, and, and Memphis is 100th in Havoc allowed. Uh, there's other things that are going on with the ground game of South Florida since they've moved to Jordan McLeod. They can take advantage of Memphis and things like power success rate. Uh, you know, line yards are not that great for the Memphis defense. So, you know, Memphis is the, it, it scares me a little bit that Memphis is the number one team in special teams, uh, as far as SP plus is concerned and South Florida is 128th in special teams. So that does give me a little bit of a pause, but I mean, there's a major havoc advantage here for South Florida. They've been playing much better since they got off the bye and went to Jordan McLeod. They're still playing hard and they're still trying to win every single ball game. And they should have won last week against Cincinnati. I think you get a little value in the number here. Fair enough. Um, all right, let's move on to the ACC. Uh, you have NC State, Syracuse, UNC, and Duke all have to win out for a bowl. And then you BC, who's sitting at 500, needs one more win for a bowl. BC is at Notre Dame, catching around 20 and a half. BC, by the way, under Adazio, I think is 43 and 43. I mean, they're, just, they're always going to finish 6 and 6 and go to a bowl. That's what it seems like Adazio, uh-huh. his ceiling is. Uh, Clemson has won the Atlantic. The Coastal's muddy. Basically, if you UVA's game this week against Liberty, by the way, I like Liberty catching 17. UVA's secondary yeah. is a mess. This game means nothing to UVA. They were carved up in their last couple games, and even against Georgia Tech, and it led me to believe that the Georgia Tech offense was starting to figure things out. That's how bad it was, and then we saw what Georgia Tech did against Virginia Tech. But their secondary is banged up, and Liberty can take advantage of it. They beat Virginia Tech next week. They win the ACC Coastal. Pitt, meanwhile who plays Virginia Tech, a resurgent Hokies team uh, with now a new quarterback under center. Looks like he can play. Uh, They need to beat Vatek and then BC, and then they need Vatek to beat UVA. If that happens, they would win the Coastal. Meanwhile, Virginia Tech needs to beat Pitt and UVA, and they will go. Now, Miami, who's the best team in the Coastal, can't win it, potentially still go to the Orange Bowl because the ACC is so bad. They could muddy this up by causing a 14 tiebreaker that includes Miami, and in that case, Vatek would go. We're getting crazy there. But let's get back to the games here. You know, UV has a short week for before this Virginia Tech game, which basically is going to make or break their season. And, yep. you know, so if they get a big lead or they're going to sit, not show much, they're also a snail. They play very slow. So I think Liberty can hit some big plays in the passing game, which even Georgia Tech did. And Liberty is one of the best passing offenses uh, with a, a Bolitnikoff winner at receiver and Gandy Golden and our boy Buckshot at quarterback. So uh, I like Liberty there. And you, you agree? Yeah. I mean, I put a play in on the app here this afternoon uh, on Liberty. I think the number is going to drop. I, I mean, I have this power rated around 20, but the situation needs some attention here. So Liberty's not going to make the Cure Bowl. They had a deal this year to go to the Cure Bowl if there weren't enough teams that qualified for a bowl. Sadly, I think we're up to 60 of 65 spots uh, you know, of teams that have already qualified to go to a bowl game, and there's still going to be more. So we're going to be overflown with the number of six-win teams. So Liberty doesn't have a bowl. Next week, they play New Mexico State. It's the gazillionth time that they played New Mexico State in the last 14 months. That game means doesn't mean anything to the Flames. So this game, Liberty taking on Virginia, big bad Virginia, just around the corner, up the interstate, This is their bowl game, so it means everything to them. And in this game last year, Liberty was down just by seven in the third quarter before finally losing by 21, which I think is more of having Turner Gill as your head coach, uh, you know, and and just being taken advantage of. And this is not the same Virginia team. Uh, You know, Virginia is 71st in defensive pass explosiveness, and they're trending down after giving up 350 yards to Sam Hell and 220 yards in the air to Georgia Tech. So I like Liberty a lot here to throw this on top. I'm reading this article about Bronco Mendenhall about how he can't watch game film of Liberty BYU. He's still so torn up after four years of leaving BYU, he couldn't even watch the game film because it hurts him so bad. Like emotional toll is what he said. That's exactly the words that he used because of what happened at BYU, that he couldn't get them to leave being an independent, that he took them as far as he could and his heart's there and he loves them. And how it applies here, he couldn't even watch game film. So I don't know how he's going to instruct his players. So I don't think they care about this game. Short week, Virginia Tech, take Liberty. And you know what? I just think for fun, maybe a Liberty first half money line might be, you know, I mean, this team last year was close to winning at halftime. All right, then let's move on to Pitt Vatek. You know, look, Vatek's defense is playing really well, a lot of promising advanced metrics, and they seem to have found a quarterback in Hooker. And, you know, their offenses looked great the last few weeks. Pitt's offense, eh. And you got to keep an eye on a receiver, French. 
uh, who may or may not play. But look, Pitt's offense is completely different this year. We talked about this before the year. They got Mark Whipple as the offensive coordinator who loves to throw the ball. They're throwing the ball over 40 times a game. Last year, that number was around 22. Um, you know, and they're not running the ball well. They can hit some explosive passes uh, with Pickett and some of those receivers, which Rotech has shown some vulnerabilities in their secondary. So, you know, this is a game where Pitt, Vatek obviously wants this game bad after they got whooped last year by Pitt. What Mm -hmm. do you see here? Yeah, I make this game Virginia Tech minus two with a total of 51, but there's a 90% chance of rain that's going to affect the passing game here. And and we talk about Hendon Hooker. I mean, he has yet to throw an interception as a starter. And they tried to put Hendon Hooker under center for one of their games, and it just it didn't go well. There were fumbles. There were all kinds of problems with the ball. Just they decided to put Hendon Hooker back in shotgun snap. So now we're going to be in shotgun snap the entire game where there's definitely going to be weather involved. So keep that in mind. You know, there's going to be jet sweeps. There's going to be shotgun snaps. All of this with, with a wet ball could make this game, you know, at Pitt's, you know, third and defensive havoc. We know about Pitt. We love Pitt. You know, third and defensive passing success rate. So I think Pitt's going to find a – I can understand why the total would come down when you put all of those factors, you know, in there. So I, there's a big special teams advantage of Virginia Tech as always. Uh, you know, the Hokies are top 25 in defensive success rate. Uh, you know, I think this is a first half underplay. I kind of lean Pitt because we haven't really seen, I mean, this Hendon Hooker, like we have not seen him, uh, you know, be inefficient yet. He's been excellent so far. Uh, I think Pitt kind of gives him maybe the the toughest look that he's seen this year. I think the Maurice French thing is what's keeping me off this game completely. But this, this applies to KJ Hamler at Penn State, Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State. There are a number of injuries out there that I think are extremely important before placing a wager. Yeah, I mean, and if we do look at it, he's played Georgia Tech and mm-hmm. Wake Forest so far. So, I mean, this is obviously <laughs> a big step up uh, in defensive class against Pitt. And, yeah, if the rain is bad and this becomes more of a running game, you do worry about turnovers. But these are two poor rushing offenses against two good rush defenses, which yep. would lend itself to an underplay. All right, let's move on to another game in the ACC, Duke-Wake Forest. Uh, look, I love Duke here. I'm waiting to see if we can get to a flat seven and a half anywhere. Yeah, it's still juice seven. Duke's had this game circled since last year. They talked about it in the offseason. They talked about it all this week. They got absolutely dominated by Wake Forest last year. Uh, I believe the score was 59 to seven. So they got embarrassed in that game. They obviously need to win to become bowl eligible. They were embarrassed last week, too, against Syracuse who ran all over them. Uh, so I think you get a, their, a best effort from their defense here. Wake Forest not really playing for anything. You know, it is a semi-rivalry game. This Wake Forest offense is just completely lost without Surratt and Washington. And Washington is not on the depth chart this week. Surratt is out for the year. They're two best receivers. Surratt, one of the best receivers in college football. You saw that last week. I mean, they just couldn't throw the ball at all. It was Clemson, but just their offense looked anemic without their two best receivers. Wake Forest also cannot run the ball worth a lick uh they are 116th in rushing success rate you know the duke offense is bad uh, but so is the wake defense i don't think that duke is going to have much success running the ball but i do think that they can have some success throwing it i think these teams are basically dead even now without washington and without surratt so this line should be three and i'm going to get seven uh i would also look at the under 50, um, I know that Wake Forest plays fast, but their offense is just so hampered and without their two best receivers. And uh, I, the Duke offense isn't great. I think their defense shows up. So I would look at the under as well. Um, would you say anything here? Yeah, I mean, I project it lower and, uh, you know, a lower point spread here. I think it's a little bit too high, definitely at seven and juiced. There's plenty of value on this Duke team that was boat raced by Notre Dame, that was boat raced by Syracuse. The Syracuse one was odd. And so, you know, Duke players mentioned all week, uh, you know, Wake blew them out 59 to seven last year. Uh, they didn't take it too well. Uh, these, you know, universities are really close. So it, 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 you know, getting blown out by your neighbor is not a really good look. And they've been, they've had this game circled since before the season started. And, you know, considering that Duke is getting run out of the building by, you know, their last two opponents, Wake is 116th in rushing success rate, 114th in explosive runs. They should not be able to do that to Duke, what they've gone through the last two weeks. Uh, and so, you know, they're going to have success against Jamie Newman. Duke is 20th in defensive passing success rate, and Newman's lost his weapons. So, yeah, this is definitely a Duke play. Yep. Yeah, the Duke D-line should own the trenches here. And um, the last ACC game we'll mention is... 
Louisville, Syracuse. I I really like Syracuse can win out and go to a bowl. They were really impressive last week against Duke, uh, ruining my under. Thanks, thanks to three Duke turnovers and three straight plays that led the 21 Syracuse points. And then a broken Syracuse run instead of knees. Yeah, still bitter. But I, I really like Syracuse here. I played them plus 10 uh, against Louisville. I actually make this under a touchdown. And the main reason is Syracuse's defense. Well, number one, during the bye week, they fixed some things. They moved their center to tackle. And, you know, they had a new center. And their offensive line looked worlds better. It was a change that was needed. And then on the defensive side, they got McKinley Williams back on the defensive line. And he dominated, dominated Duke. You know, Cisco had a pick six last week. He's back in the flow at safety. He was a freshman All-American last year. So their defense is a lot healthier. Uh, Their offense still stinks, uh, but the Louisville defense stinks as well. So I think that they can have some success running the ball. uh, And the Syracuse defense is just getting healthier. And I think they're going to take a lot of momentum from that Duke game uh, against this Louisville team. So I, I like Syracuse plus 10 here. Anything? A lot of the things that you said, I, I agree with, and that kind of led me to the under because my projection is much lower than the 62 and a half, and I don't really understand, you know, how it could be that high. The Orange are 114th and 124th in rushing and passing success rate. That's not very good. Louisville should have explosive plays against the Syracuse defense, but they're outside the top 100 in defending explosiveness. So, you know, the Orange have a big advantage in havoc. Uh, you know, Louisville's 128th and havoc allowed. Uh, specifically, sack rate is a big issue for the Cardinals. Uh, you know, the defense, Syracuse's defense is 27th in sack rate, and Louisville's uh, offensive line is 125th in sack rate. So, I, you know, I, I think that there's a, a really good spot here for an under in Syracuse. And then also, don't forget, big special teams advantage for Syracuse. One of the better special teams units in college football in Louisville. Not great in that department. All right, let's move on to... And the Big 12, now the Big 12 is easy for my scenarios. Baylor and Oklahoma are two games ahead of the field. So Mm. it's basically locked into a Baylor-Oklahoma rematch. But Texas is catching six here. Obviously, Herman is a dog, always intriguing, covered again uh, against Iowa State as a dog. I think he's like 16-3 now against the spread as an underdog, catching six here. This line's way too high, in my opinion. And not only that, it's a terrible spot for Baylor. You know, they're pretty much going to the Big 12 championship. They're pretty much out of the college football playoff discussion. And they had their hopes and dreams shattered in blowing a 28-3 to lead, 25-point lead to Oklahoma at home. Screams flat spot. This, And at the end of the day, this line has value uh, for days. I mean, basically, Baylor, we were saying it all year. They, they lost the game they probably should have won. But they were winning mm-hmm. a number of games they probably should have lost. And they're still inflated in the market here. Texas's defense has been getting healthier, has been playing better. I think this is a complete flat spot for Baylor, um, which still has holes on the defense, still has holes on the offensive line. Uh, this is a play on Texas for me. Yeah, it's 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 Texas or nothing here. Uh, you know, Herman, he's an underdog. He's at plus six. Uh, Texas has won this game the last four years. And Baylor's only won this series four of the last 21 times. So there's just something in this series, no matter how good or bad the teams have been, even through Baylor's great years. I mean, there's not been, it's been a domination by the Longhorns here. Baylor's 79th in defensive pass efficiency, and that's something that Ellinger can completely expose Texas's 36th in passing success rate. The strength of Baylor's defense is the rush defense, and the key is on third down because. Texas is not overly a rushing team predominantly. That's not what they do. But in third downs, that's when Ellinger likes to take off and he gets likes to get third down conversions with his legs. Texas is fifth in third down conversion rate because of Ellinger and his runs. And Baylor is 90th in opponent third down conversion. So I think that's really the key to the game. What's going to keep the chains moving? What's going to get Texas up on the board is that Baylor has been poor on third downs on defense. Texas has been really poorly coached the last two weeks, which is why you know I was in Vegas two weeks ago and, and they didn't get the Kansas State home. It just flags for illegal formations. Last week had penalties against Iowa State leading up to their winning field goal. Uh, I don't know if it's poorly coached or if there's focus from the players because really, I mean, they're so far below where the expectations were for this team. Uh, is there a motivation factor for Baylor? I mean, similar to Miami of Ohio, uh, they're pretty much locked into Arlington if they can get a win here or if they can beat Kansas maybe in the back of their head. They think, well, we've got Kansas next week, so we'll be fine there. Uh, so really, it's just Texas or nothing here. Also, elsewhere in the Big 12, Texas Tech, by the way, who's a two-point favorite over Kansas State, they need to win out to become bowl eligible, as does West Virginia. And West Virginia has TCU at home next week. They have Oklahoma State 
this week. And Oklahoma State lost their quarterback, Spencer Sanders, for the year. Drew Brown is also rumored to be hurt. More on that later in the week. And, you know, Texas Tech has to win at Texas next week if they beat Kansas State at home this week to get the bowl eligibility. And the TCU needs one more win to get to bowl eligibility. They play Oklahoma this week. And they are catching, I believe, 17 and a half still. Yeah, over under 65. And one thing that jumps out at me here is when you look at Gary Patterson's defenses in his 4-2-5 and, and his modifications of that each year, generally speaking, they give up a lot of explosive plays. We've seen that in the past. You know, it's an, an, an aggressive defense that wants to make you, you know, drive it down the field. It wants to force three and outs. And, you know, but but because of that, Sometimes they're vulnerable in the back end, and the numbers bear that out. Uh, I believe TCU is 119th in defensive pass explosiveness, 75th in rush explosiveness. That passing explosiveness, you know, but their success rates are great. You know, they're 11th in defensive pass success rate and 19th. They're top 20 in both passing and rush defensive success rates. And you saw Oklahoma just go up and down the field efficiently last week against Baylor in that comeback. They didn't really have the explosiveness that they usually have, and that's because C.D. Lamb was out. C.D. Lamb, I don't, I'm still not sure if he's going to play yet or not, but mm-hmm. his presence may may decide whether or not Oklahoma blows this open or just you know wins right around the number, which I think is about right. It just how is Oklahoma a little flat after that win last week, or do they come out motivated and focused, wanting to blow this open for you know show off points for the committee? What do you see here? Yeah, I mean, all those points there. I mean, I, I project the game 17 and a half, so I think it's correct. But, I mean, if you look at the advanced stats, I don't think this is going to end well for TCU, especially if C.D. Lamb plays. He was announced as questionable. That'll go all the way up till game day before they make an announcement on him. And the question really with the Sooners is, are you motivated to blow out a team similar to what Utah and Oregon is doing, where they're beating every projection and every Vegas you know, odds, odds maker, every bookmaker that's out there uh, for the sake of the playoff rankings? Because Oklahoma's currently at ninth. And their path to the playoff, they need a lot of things to happen. A lot. Like a huge domino effect throughout all the conferences to help them get up in there. Because ninth is just not going to get it done. Considering you know what they have this week with TCU and next week against Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State could be out without their biggest weapons you know, on the season. So you know, TCU's covered just one game in their past six. And they only covered that game because it was Sam Ellinger just having turnover after turnover uh, when TCU covered and, and won against Texas. Uh, you know, TCU can still win next week against West Virginia to make a bowl, so it's not imperative that they have this game. But if CeeDee Lamb is playing, for me, it's a, it's a play on Oklahoma. Oklahoma State, West Virginia, I saw you put a bet in on Oklahoma yeah. State. Obviously, you didn't know the, the news with Spencer Sanders being out. Um, it's right. also a terrible spot for Oklahoma State with Oklahoma on deck. You know, they're seemingly not playing really for anything. They're sitting at 7-3, and three, while West Virginia looks like they've had a significant upgrade at quarterback uh, with the Bowling Green transfer, who just is taking care of the ball much more efficiently than Kendall was. Uh, this line has dipped down to 5.5, and, and now the rumors are that Drew Brown, and if you remember, during preseason, there was a question as to who would start a quarterback, Sanders or Brown. But, you know, and Brown played a little bit last week after Sanders went out with a hand injury. Any updated thoughts here? Are you sticking with Oak State? Or, I mean, you don't think you have much of a choice no. unless this line comes back out. But any thoughts? No, no, no. I bought out of it earlier today. I played Oklahoma State minus seven real early in the week. And really, the reasoning behind that is because, well, not only is Oklahoma State hot right now, and they're covering almost every single game, uh, they're 29th in passing success rate, while West Virginia is the 100th in passing success rate. I had this projected around eight and a half. So the feeling was early in the week that this game was going to rise, that there would be plenty of money coming in on Oklahoma State. I wasn't worried about Spencer Sanders. That wasn't the reason for the buyout. The reason for the buyout came when the Drew Drew Brown news came in. Uh, and, and, you know, the fact that he got injured in practice, uh, I think, uh, what, yesterday? You know, so he he's uh, questionable or out for this game. And I didn't want to be sitting around with an Oklahoma State minus seven ticket where I potentially could be relying on a third-string quarterback on the road. So, I mean, I originally bought it because of how much, you know, Oklahoma State passing success rate is so high. West Virginia is not that great at defending the pass. But, you know, if, if there's a, those quarterbacks aren't there, uh, then there's no reason for me to play them. You know, the Cowboys are 8-2 and two against the spread this year. And I'm just going to put a little note in. I probably won't say it again because, my you know, the next thing, my next action is to purchase this. But futures for next year, all Cowboys. Go Pokes. All right, then rapid fire to close with the Big 12. Any uh, Texas Tech, Kansas State, anything there? Zero. Iowa State, do they – cover against Kansas. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about laying it here. 
Yeah, I, I think so. I think Kansas has uh, been exposed. I think you know, the more film that we got on the offense, the more the defensive coordinator has been to plan against it. And it's just after those first two games, it's been nothing. But people just been teeing off on Kansas. Yeah, and this is what you know. Ohio, Iowa State defense is built to stop an offense like that, and they have film on it. And Kansas is just a mess right now. Yep. After that little rise, I mean, that Les Miles' son was in there at quarterback last week. Just uh, <laughs> Iowa State should be able to name this probably the best six and four team we've seen in college football in a long time. All right, let's move on to the Big Ten. Ohio State, Penn State will decide the Big Ten East. So I guess we could, it's time to get to, well, we'll get to our marquee game in a second here. Let's look at the West first. Wisconsin, if they win out, they're going to win the West because they play Minnesota next week. So if Minnesota, all they have to do is beat Wisconsin next week, or they could have Wisconsin lose this week. But that game is probably most likely going to determine who wins the West. That game will be in Minnesota. And I laid 14 early in the week with Iowa. I still like them at 15 and a half. Illinois, they're like the Steelers before that regression came. They're plus 14 turnover margin. They've recovered 16 fumbles on the year. I mean, it's insane. Iowa does not is not going to gift away just turnovers and touchdowns to Illinois like teams have been doing. I think Iowa rolls here. Any feel on that game? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Iowa is built to uh, take care of what Illinois has, especially from a rushing standpoint of what Illinois has been able to pull off. Illinois had a couple of victories where they, you know, specifically Michigan State, where they had no business winning that game whatsoever. I know this number is large and inflated, but it's for a reason because everything in the matchup says that Iowa is going to win this game and cover. Yeah, and I mentioned before, technically this game means something to Minnesota. But it really doesn't. I mean, it would if Wisconsin loses to Purdue, but that's not happening. So this, I mean, that's basically the West comes down. So this game is essentially meaningless to Minnesota. They're laying 13 and a half at Northwestern uh, over under 39. <laughs> Look, I'm waiting for this to get to 14 so I can play yep. Northwestern. There are questions about Tanner Morgan. Flex said today he, he has in concussion protocol. He made some progress, but I, I'm sure he'll be questionable all week. If he can't go, it's one of two freshmen that will go. Uh, there's just look Northwestern lives for these kind of games late in the year catching two touchdowns with an over under of 39 always screams my name and it's a uh, a horrible spot for Minnesota next week decides the Big Ten they're out of the college football playoff discussion now and after losing to Iowa so it's let down city it's sort of like Baylor uh, you agree here I'm gonna play Pat's cats mm. Pat's cats Yep, don't screw me again, Pat Fitzgerald. Last year, came over to Minnesota, had your players on the field without shirts working out, and I was holding a huge ticket on Minnesota with crazy line movement. So, yeah, I'm in the same boat. Gets to 14. This is a play on Northwestern. Been waiting. Uh, a lot of lot of books at 13 and a half. Can't seem to tip over. There's one book at 14, but they don't really take a lot of money. So when it gets to 14, it's going to be firing away. But I think the Tanner Morgan decision, we might not get it. Uh, you know, Tanner Morgan remains a concussion protocol. Flex said, whoever plays better in practice this week between Cole, Cole Kramer and Jacob Clark is going to get the start. So there's some pressure for you kids right there. Uh, you know, despite the offensive struggles, like, you know, minus UMass, the, Northwest, the Northwestern defense can stop any explosive passing attack. They rank seventh in defensive rushing success rate. Uh, they should be able to slow down, stop Minnesota, especially if there's no Tanner Morgan. That would make, you know, 14 a lot of value without Minnesota's guy that can throw it pretty deep. Yeah, Northwestern maybe can have a little bit of success on the ground, I think, against a vulnerable Minnesota front seven. Uh, it won't be pretty, but I think that's the play, and you get an added bonus if Morgan is out in a great spot for, you know, essentially Northwestern's Super Bowl. Uh, by the way, Sparty, Purdue, and Nebraska all need to win out to become bowl eligible. What a disappointing seasons for Nebraska and Sparty. Purdue, you can't blame them. They've just been ravished by injuries. Uh, yeah. The numbers say I should play Sparty again. I'm having nightmares um, at laying <laughs> 20 at Rutgers. Uh, you're, are you playing? You're not playing that game, are you? No, I'm not going to play the game. I mean, Rutgers has some confidence now. I mean, listen, we're going to get to our marquee game. I don't know how Rutgers had an explosive TD through the air and on the ground against Ohio State. That's got to give those guys some confidence. So uh, we'll see what they can do at home. But uh, so far, no play for me on that game. Rutgers, Michigan State. All right, and then before we get to Ohio State, Penn State, uh, Michigan, Indiana. Michigan's now up to a 10-point favorite over under 53.5 at Indiana. Indiana's sitting at 7-3. and three. Uh, Obviously, they lost last week, but we're really competitive. And again, they could have won against Penn State. But they still haven't beat a team with a winning record all year. This is just Indiana of old. You know, they're beating uh -huh. teams that they should beat, and they can't beat the elite teams. You know, line to me at Michigan 
minus 10 right now seems a little inflated, but you know, maybe if it gets to 11, 11 and a half, I'll look at Indiana, but probably a stay away from me. What do you see here? Yeah, stay away from me because I think Michigan, uh, you know, I, the number has, has, has steamed up to nine and a half and which is a higher than the projection that I have, but they're just a buzzsaw right now going through people. And I generally don't like to back Michigan on the road, but they're playing well on both sides of the ball. Uh, Indiana maybe without, you know, their, their top wide receiver, he's in concussion protocol. Uh, Michigan's defense is seventh in passing success rate. And, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Michael Penix Jr. or if it's Peyton Ramsey. They're an extremely efficient passing team, but they're not an explosive passing team. And Michigan excels in shutting down passing attacks. And they're eighth in sack rate, which will neutralize Indiana's biggest offensive weapon, So that which is the passing game. So, you know, if you can't stomach Michigan minus nine and a half on the road and an overlook to, to Ohio State, you know, the Wolverines have every reason to win this game. So I don't know if you want to throw them in a money line or whatever, but Michigan still has their sights set on the Rose Bowl. If Michigan wins out, beat Ohio State next week, college football playoff is going to take Ohio State, probably, you know, still going to make it into the college football playoff, which means there's going to be a Big Ten team that needs to go to the Rose Bowl, and it's going to come down to a handful of two and three loss teams between Penn State, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan is in there. So they've got their sights set on the Rose Bowl, so I expect them to give full effort here and 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 play bully ball and, and, and try to run Indiana out. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week 13. All right, let's move on to our marquee game of the weekend. It's not a weekend with the most marquee games. We're going to have plenty of them coming up. But I think this is the highlight game. Obviously, it is going to decide the Big Ten East. It has college football playoff implications as well. Penn State is sitting as an 18.5-point underdog. Historically, favorites over 17 between top 10, top 10 teams over the last 20 or 30 years have had a ton of success against the spread. It's usually a reason why the line is that high. Look, I'll say I'll start with this. The reason why Ohio State I mean is I think the best team in the country is because they're elite on the offensive and defensive side. But the two weaknesses that they've had and they keep showing up on the advanced metrics is they give up explosive runs still and their offensive line is a little vulnerable. You can get after the quarterback and we saw some of that with Wisconsin uh doing that early on. Penn State does have an excellent front 7. Um, so maybe they can get after the quarterback here. The main question, though, for me with Penn State, and I think this line is about right, to be honest, is will – I mean, Noah Kane, the running back, is questionable, but K.J. Hamler, who is so important to their offense, he's questionable as well. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's – I think he – just like C.D. Lamb, without him, their offense just loses such a big dynamic piece. Uh, what do you see here with Penn State, Ohio State? Yeah, that's definitely the big thing for me because the the buy-in on Penn State earlier in the week was the expectation that K.J. Hamler was going to play and for the line to go down to 17 uh, once it's announced. But the, the line is inevitably steaming up with plenty of money and tickets coming in on Ohio State. So I make the game 17 and a half, but Hamler is the real deal. He's the X factor in this game, especially when it comes to explosive plays for Penn State's offense. Ohio State is 100 in defensive rush explosiveness. So if teams have been able to b- break off big things on the ground. And if you go and just you know hop on YouTube and put in KJ Hamler, you can see him busting a 90 yarder, uh, 90 yard uh, short pass against uh, the Ohio State defense last year. And it was a different defense for Ohio State last year, but still that shows just the athleticism of KJ Hamler and what he can do against a defense loaded with talent. So, you know, Ohio State's sack rate on the offensive line, switching to the other side, the thing that, you know, got me in on Penn State earlier in the week is that I was surprised to find out that Ohio State's sack rate on the offensive line is 98. That's going to get tested by a Penn State defense that is excellent at havoc. Uh, you know, Mika Parsons is, has 75 tackles on the season. Uh, Gross Matos is uh, leading the team in sacks. This is one of the best havoc defenses in the nation. And if Ohio State's offensive line really hasn't been exposed by a real defense yet, uh, this will be their best test easily by far. Um, you know, Sean Clifford and, and Penn State's offense, they're, they're 72nd and Havoc allowed. So they're, you know, Ohio State's defense is number one in Havoc. So they're going to be able to have their own set of Havoc plays and, and, and disruption against Sean Clifford and the Penn State offense. If there's one argument against Ohio State, it's that they've played a lot of one-dimensional offenses. And they really haven't seen anybody, you know, especially like a KJ Hamler, you know, if, if he plays. But they haven't allowed more than 125 yards in the air through the last four games. I mean, it's really kind of been a cakewalk for the Buckeyes as far as game planning for an opponent and and you know being able to center it in on, on what their specialty is and shutting that down. So if K.J. Hamler is playing, that gives 
Penn State, you know, room to actually get some, you know, get some points on the board, whether it be on the ground or through the air. Uh, this this uh, series has been really close the last three years. It's been decided by five points total over the last three games. It's been decided by one point uh, the last two years in this game. And so these coordinators know each other really well, especially with Ryan Day going up against Brent Pry uh, for Penn State. So I, I think it's going to go over my projection of 62, uh, but I really need confirmation of Hamler for Penn State to be playing and active, uh, you know, for Penn State to hold their part with the points. If you're going to play this live or you have the option to play this live, Penn State has been really good the first three or four drives in every single game. And I think it goes yep. back to the they thing. they got to get off to a fast start. If Penn State does not score in their first two drives and you're betting this live, you might, you might as well just eat a, eat a number on Ohio State because I just don't think there's any way that after those scripted plays get out of the way that they're going to be able to handle Ohio State. Yeah, no, we'll have we'll have a, a large write up on ActionNetwork.com and the Action app on this game, so make sure you check that out. Um, all right, let's move on to Conference USA. Charlotte needs one win for bowl eligibility. They've never made a bowl since they were established in 2013. FIU also needs one win. They play Miami this week, then Marshall next week. North Texas and UTSA. They need to win out to get to a bowl. I can't believe it, UTSA. With that joke schedule, this conference USA is messy. Marshall and in the East, Marshall and FAU are at their top at five and one. Marshall controls its own destiny, or they could split and have FAU split because Marshall did beat FAU. But you know, Marshall, if they beat Charlotte, who's not going to have Benny Lemay, it looks like they're seven point favorites. Sort of a trappy game, right? But if they win out and against FIU, who could be play, will most likely be playing for bowl eligibility, FAU could still get there. And in the West, Southern Miss, if they win out. And La Tech loses one, and La Tech will be without their star quarterback and wide receiver this week at UAB, uh, catching, I think, six. Then Southern Miss will win, but they play Western Kentucky, and then they're at FAU, so it's a tough schedule. I'll, I'll just open this up for you in conference USA, a, couple, a game or two that you want to mention. Well, I have UAB on the side. It's at six. Uh, I my I was salivating when I saw Circa open it up at minus one on Sunday. Uh, uh, I wish I'd have been at the desk for that because I think that was put up there without realizing that uh, Jamar Smith, uh, quarterback for Louisiana Tech, and Adrian Hardy, the the wide receiver for Louisiana Tech, they won't be playing in this game. And if you look at the UAB and, and the backup freshman quarterback, Aaron Allen, he got injured last week against Marshall at the end of the game. So the Bulldogs are down to their third string quarterback in this game. So they've, they're, they're going to fall off a cliff offensively here. You can't even really look at their offensive numbers uh, considering they've lost like 90% of all of their production this year is not playing in this game. I know UAB's had one of the easiest schedules in the nation, but they're top five in rush and passing success rate on defense. And then now they finally get their quarterback back. Tyler Johnson was out a couple weeks for having a sprained knee. Uh, you know, despite rushing success rank of 118th, UAB was able to put up 350 yards on the ground against UTEP. And, you know, that, I think that speaks a lot to UTEP. But it was backup quarterback Dylan Hopkins who, who took all the snaps last week. And they kind of changed him up and, and didn't want him to throw and had him run. It paid off huge last week against UTEP. And I think that's going to be the game plan. I think Bill Clark is smart enough, and at least from what I've read, they don't want to go up against a Mick Robertson. A Mick Robertson is a name you should know if you're an NFL guy because he is he's got 16 pass breakups. He leads all of Conference USA. He's one of the best defensive backs in all of FBS play. And I think Bill Clark is smart enough not to try to throw uh, you know, when he's roaming around on the field. So I think this is going to be a huge ground game for UAB between their backup quarterback that, you know, helped lead over 300 rushing yards. Uh, but just offensively for La Tech, they have nothing. I mean, they're down to a third string quarterback uh, after, you know, second string freshman got hurt. So uh, this is UAB. Uh, you know, I've got them in money lines. I've got them at minus six. Uh, it's definitely the game I focused on this week. I am leaning UTSA. There might be a play come through on Meet Me. Yeah, they're catching 21 at home uh, with bowl motivation against FAU, yes. who is still alive uh, for a division title, although an outside shot. Yeah, and I agree with you on UAB. That that front seven, regardless of schedule, is excellent. And La Tech, with their passing game hampered, is going to have trouble moving the ball. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. Uh, I guess we can cover the independent quickly. We And look, uh, UMass stinks. It's the last chance to fade them. I'll be fading them in, in some aspect uh, against BYU. BYU's laying 39 and a half here at UMass. 
Uh, anything you want to mention on BYU UMass? Yeah, I think you can check the action. Uh, go to the Action Network, and you can see the article that I'll have up tomorrow in my column. I'm going to have a BYU UMass write up in there. A lot of it has to do with, you know, I mean, BYU is flying out to the East Coast, but they did this last year. They flew out to Gillette Stadium. But you got to look at what's happened in these UMass games in the first quarter and in the first half. I think this line, this total is high, 69. I mean, that. I mean, how many points is UMass going to put up? You go and look. Uh, you know, when uh, Toledo came to town, there was only seven first half points. Uh, you know, I mean, Northwestern against UMass last week, they only had zero. They had zero points in the first quarter. The Salukis, who put up 45 points, they had zero points in the first quarter. So when teams come to play at UMass, it's generally a slow start. This is a West Coast team, at least, or at least I should say a mountain time zone team flying out to play. So I think there's going to be a lack of points, at least to start this game. There will be more on Action Network for tomorrow. It's a good matchup for BYU. I mean, UMass is 130th in passing and rushing success rates uh, on defense. <laughs> 130th. Uh, BYU's top 50 on offense in both. They'll be able to move the ball at will. The reason why for the under, too, is that there's a really good chance Zach Wilson is either doesn't play or he's pulled really quick for next week's San Diego State game uh, because he's returning from injury. Romney and Hall are injured. That leads to fourth-string Joe Critchlow. So I, I just I, the 70 points, is that's a lot. It's a lot of points. Mm-hmm. Pritchlow's married to Mitt Romney's granddaughter. Defensive side, BYU doesn't give up anything explosive. UMass is one of the least efficient offenses. They hit a couple big runs, but BYU doesn't give up anything big. So UMass is not going to be able to drive down the field at BYU will efficiently. I should mention also Boston College, Notre Dame. Notre Dame, yeah, 20.5-point favorite now. Uh, they should have some success against this Boston College defense, mm-hmm. which is brutal. The special teams on Boston College are also awful. Uh, but look... Boston College, their secondary is a mess. They did get a linebacker back last week who should help in some of the coverage underneath. But they're 126th in defensive pass explosiveness and 118th in passing success rate. I'm not sure Boston College is good of their, as their running backs are, and one of them's banged up a little bit. Uh, they yeah. just can't keep up with Notre Dame here. Boston College will probably lose this and win next week to get to six and six as they seemingly do every year. Anything here? Yeah, I mean, this is Notre Dame all the way, especially if you can get like a team total over on Notre Dame because Notre Dame is going to be able to shut down the Boston College rushing attack. And then if you look at what they did, what what Notre Dame did against Navy last week, the four TDs by the middle of second quarter by Ian Book, they're going to do the same thing against Boston College's defense. Boston College defensively is 118th in passing success rate, 126 against explosive passing. So expect Ian Book to just come out on fire, uh, you know, because Notre Dame's got to do their part to score a ton and get the attention of the committee and the rankings because they're now 16th in the college football playoff rankings. They need a lot of help to get to a New Year's Six uh, because it, there's this real crazy oddity where because the semifinals are in the Peach and Fiesta Bowl, uh, those are the semifinal spots. There's only one true at-large spot that Notre Dame would take. So they're competing with a ton of teams for that spot and they need a lot of help and they're going to score a lot of points here. Yep. All right. Let's move on to the Mac very quickly here since there's only one game. But in the East, Miami, Ohio is already clinched. Uh, Kent State needs to win out for a bowl. Well, they play this week. Ball State, who also needs to win out to get to a bowl. That's the only game this weekend. By the way, in the West, Western Michigan and Central Michigan. Central Michigan, unbelievable. They're at the top. That's how bad the Mac is this year. Western Michigan owns the head-to-head, so all they need to do is win at NIU on Tuesday or... If they don't, they need CMU to lose at home versus Toledo on Friday. But let's just focus really quickly on the Mac East game. Kent State had a miracle comeback to against Buffalo to remain bowl eligible. They are catching three and a half, four-ish at home against Ball State. You rolling with the uh, golden flashes here? You know it. Kent State and Ball State are at the blackjack table. Kent State's on a heater. They're making everything close. Missed a two-point conversion against Toledo for overtime. Uh, you know, they had a 21-point uh, fourth-quarter comeback on Buffalo. And Ball State is the cooler. They're sitting over at third base at the blackjack table. They just can't get anything for their life. Crazy enough, Ball State's only won three times on the road in their last 19 tries. Last 19 times that they've left Muncie, they've only won three times. So, yeah, definitely Kent State here. All right. Uh, let's move on to the Mountain West. Uh, in the West Division, San Diego State for Hawaii, that will decide it. You know, and, and also Fresno, San Jose State, and Colorado State, they all need to win out for a bowl shot. I think Fresno State puts it on Nevada, by the way. Uh, San Jose State is six and a half, seven point favorites at UNLV. And Colorado State, which we'll get to later, uh, is at Wyoming tomorrow night catching seven. Uh, but San Diego State, Hawaii, look, it's, it's similar to last week with Fresno State. The Hawaii offense is really good. The San Diego State defense is really good. The San Diego State offense is really bad. The Hawaii defense is really bad. Uh, if it does come down to special teams, advantage San Diego State. Uh, San Diego State is a three-point favorite here. 
This is a game definitely where um, I am not going to be hedging my futures on Hawaii whatsoever. And I, I really kind of want to add to Hawaii in this game. And, you know, there's going to be more on this on Action Network, but I'll just say that, you know, Hawaii is seventh in first downs. They're 22nd and third down conversions. They should be able to control the clock. And amazingly enough, as bad as they are at defense in every single category, they're actually top 20 in defensive pass explosiveness. They're able to stop teams from throwing it deep and getting chunk yards through the air. Well, all of a sudden, San Diego State, who went to a spread, you know, b- b- you know, before the season started, uh, Agnew, their quarterback, faced Fresno State last week and finally had over a 300-yard passing game. It's the first time in 65 games that the Aztecs have had a 300-yard passer. Uh, Fresno State gives up a lot more explosive plays through the air than Hawaii does. So I like, I don't care if it's Cordero, I don't care if it's McDonald, I'm going to back the Bows here. Uh, I think they're going to win this game. Uh, they're going to play clock control. They're going to shut down the, the the San Diego State offense, which isn't hard to do whatsoever. And, uh, you know, so go Rainbows all the way. First time that a, a team will win this division, not named Fresno State or San Diego State. Well, if Hawaii wins. Uh, by the way, if Hawaii wins this game, <laughs> the next week they play Army. Army off of a bye uh, with, with bowl hopes and... Hawaii's defense, run defense and defensive line is horrible. Uh, it could be a spot for Army uh-huh. as a dog, but we'll get to that next week. Yeah, on the Mountain Division, Boise controls its own destiny, but they don't have it locked up yet. One loss could open up the door for Air Force or Utah State, and Boise State play, and there's all kinds of question marks with who's playing quarterback for Boise every week. Boise's a nine-point favorite at Utah State this week. And then you have Air Force is a 22-and-a-half-point favorite in New Mexico who's just completely decimated. Now they've lost all their running backs. It's a mess. Boise's not locked into the mountain yet. But if they win this game, they pretty much are. Um, anything else in the mountain for you that catches your eye? Well, just uh, there's going to be no side play on Boise and Utah State because the quarterback situation on both sides is really it's rough. So Boise, you know, Bachmeyer's injured. Chase Cord is injured. This may come down to Jalen Henderson, which is fine because he got the start against New Mexico last week and he started off with a 97-yard TD drive. It's different on the Utah State side. There's a chance that Jordan Love is not going to go. Backup quarterback Henry Columbia could get the start. Uh, Love couldn't finish the game against Wyoming. Uh, that would be a huge blow to them. So that's something that I'm monitoring. I already love unders on Utah State because they're still 130th in red zone scoring percentage and red zone touchdowns. Uh, and they're allowing opponents, you know, touchdown uh, uh, rank of 121st uh, red zone touchdowns. So, I mean, I, I still love taking Utah State and unders. And if, you know, if Jordan Love's not going to play, probably going to get me to get some money down uh, as we monitor that injury situation. Uh, and they should give Boise the Cotton Bowl since Boise's fans all flew down on like Christmas Day, got to the first responders bowl at, like 10 o'clock in the morning, and they canceled the damn game. feel you there. All right, let's move on to the Pac-12. Uh, it's pretty simple, straightforward in the Pac-12. The North Oregon is clinched. Uh, by the way, this is what Herm does, and it's Tempe. It's, you know, this is for their season. They're playing for bowl eligibility. This game will be close. Uh, the only team that's blown out Arizona State all year has been Utah, you know, Oregon lost Pittman. They lost Breland earlier in the year. They're just not really blowing teams out right now. I like the Sun Devils. Two touchdowns or more. But in the South, Utah, you know, so Oregon's clinched the North. Utah, in order to win the South for our Pac-12 futures, they have to win out. They're at Arizona. They're laying over 21 here. Then they're home against Colorado. They should do that. If Or they could just have USC lose to UCLA. Colorado, Arizona, Stanford. One win for a bowl, Oregon State, Washington State, who play each other, Cal and Arizona State. Yes, every team is either already bowl eligible or can get to bowl eligibility in the Pac-12. That's how much of a mess it is. You're laying it with Utah again against Arizona? Oh, absolutely. They, They know everybody's watching. Yeah, I like UCLA a little bit. If I Oh, my God. No. What's that? Yeah, I'm saying no because, listen— to me, the game comes down to what UCLA's defense can do against Kidon Slovis in the air raid. And UCLA is 125th in defensive passing success rate, 127th in defensive passing explosiveness. I'm a little worried for UCLA's secondary and for their back seven. USC's fifth in passing success rate. And their defense is finally at full strength. So, I, you know, even though I got it projected at 12 and it, it's come down, I think, to 12 and a half, I, I, I just, there's no way I could back UCLA in this spot. UCLA is going to be able to run the ball on USA. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, <laughs> all right, let's move on to the SEC very quickly. Well, first, I guess I'm going to have to have you lie to me. LSU, Arkansas, LSU, 42.5 point favorite, over under 69.5. Uh, just go ahead. What are your thoughts? 
Uh, shout out to Barry Lunny Jr., uh, Southside High School, Fort Smith, Arkansas. He's, he's the new interim head coach. He is going with a collaborative play calling approach from the sideline. So I think basically anybody can put a headset on, throw in a package, throw out a play, and they're going to run it. It'll be kind of like a, like a video game. Uh, it'll be a collective effort. Every quarterback, except for Ben Hicks, was named the first team starter. So we don't know if it's going to be Starkle or K.J. Jefferson or Grandbaby. We don't know. One of the three are going to be out there. Arkansas is 120th in red zone scoring percentage. That's the reason that I took the under. I do project it a little bit lower. I project this number in the 60s. But really, Arkansas's ability to not score the entire season in the red zone was one of the factors to the under. Another factor to the under. We're always good. Arkansas is always good for Rakeem Boyd just explosive play out of nowhere. And LSU has been you know, really good at shutting down explosive runs. So I think that you're going to take that away from us. And, you know, we don't have a John Reese Plumlee. Arkansas doesn't have that. We don't have Ole Miss's quarterback. And that really has gotten LSU fans who are just in a mixed bag of worried and pissed about the defense right now. I like the under here. All right. Uh, I'm sure Colin will have a lot more to tweet about that game. Elsewhere in the SEC, it's mainly SEC teams versus FCS opponents and uh look i'll have something out on the app at actionwork.com for this but just to run through in a quick minute or two i'll try to do this as fast as i can this is the third saturday of november uh which is why we have the tin horn weekend as saban refers to you all may be taking the week off all right this week but i'm not you all don't remember the georgia southern game do you i don't think we had a guy on that field that didn't play in the nfl and about four or five of them were first round draft picks and they run through our like through a tin horn man and we could not stop them but Stanford at Auburn, Auburn minus 48 and a half. Stanford's defense is so bad. They don't run clock. They're 124th out of 124 in time of possession. They have a former USF quarterback uh, who leads a pretty prolific passing attack, but that's why they, they, they just don't worry about time of possession. But their D is so bad. Auburn will be able to score at will, but it's a sandwich spot for Auburn. After that Georgia game, Alabama on deck. Remember, Gatewood is no longer there. So Bo Nix, they'll want to get him some reps before that Alabama game. They'll be able to score at will. Bo Nix season in full effect. But then I think they rest everyone. They got to worry about Nick. So maybe look at Sanford's second half. Auburn will take the foot off the gas. Western Carolina at Alabama. Alabama minus 57. Western Carolina defense is so bad. They allow 260 yards rushing per game. That's dead last in FCS. They also can't punt. Uh, they lost 41 nothing at NC State earlier this year. But Saban's going to be more conservative than normal. I'm sure Jones will come in. It'll be a scrimmage in the first half. Western Carolina is 97th in pass efficiency defense. Alabama will score at will. Maybe second half under, uh, maybe Western Carolina second half if you have the stones. East Tennessee State at Vandy, by the way. East Tennessee State, they can actually run the ball. Vandy stinks. The run defense stinks. There's no line out still here, but this is maybe the live dog you want to back. UT Martin at UK. I mean, UT Martin has a good run defense. That's something to keep an eye on. They're also good in the red zone. Uh, Abilene Christian at Miss State. I mean, Ab Abilene Christian, they're defense is really bad maybe missed especially their past defense but miss state should be angry here but they have a short week with Ole miss on deck so maybe second half abilene christian probably stay away all right so that that'll do it. i'll have more on that on the app colin before we get to three and out here i do have to mention the sun belt don't let the ladies come between you and the belt with the uh -huh. sun belt it is a mess group a app state unless it loses one of two and georgia southern wins out they're going and ull will clinch yep. with a win this week Win out for a bowl, ULM and Coastal. One win for a bowl, Troy. Anything you want to see? No, nothing this week. I think App State and ULL continue to roll. Uh, that That is the projected path here, and it's going to be a hell of a conference championship game. Sounds good. Um, let's move on to three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. First down, let's talk Friday Night Lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Yeah, let's go play some football. Colorado State, Wyoming. Wyoming uh, seven-point favorite here against Colorado State, who's off that heartbreaking non-cover against Air Force. Still not over it. They need to win out to become bowl eligible. What do you see with Wyoming, Colorado State here? Well, it takes a set of stones to, to go back to the window and take Colorado State after what happened last week. But for me, it's not going to be about the side here. I can't back either of the side. I think the number is correct. But my projection on the total uh, you know, is just a touchdown off. Uh, so, you know, based upon, you know, plays per game, yards per play, I'm projecting this, you know, way off of what the current total is. So, uh, you know, I think it's going to take a few Colorado State explosive plays, which they're capable of. But uh, I think it's going to be the over or nothing for me. Uh, second down favorite overdog. Uh, so your favorite favorite of the weekend? 
Where I'm riding USC. I mean, I I got to look more into this UCLA rushing attack, but considering what the secondary is for for UCLA and what USC is for, as a passing team, I think USC is going to put it on them. Uh, fair enough. I'm going team I mentioned earlier, Iowa State. I think they name it. And then it's time for our underdog money line parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the money line parlay. Golden flashes. Kent State, the only Mac game of the day. Duke. I'm rolling with Duke. This Wake Forest team is done. Duke, all the motivation in the world, not only for a bowl, but after getting blown out last week and then blown out last year, 59-7 to Wake. I think they find a way to win. We'll have more on both of those games up on the app and actionnetwork.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, Colin. As always, we'll catch you all on Saturday morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern on the live show. We'll tweet out a link. I'm at Stucky2. He's at underscore Colin, then the number one with two L's. Rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. We'll give out swag if you leave a review and comment. Uh, So thanks for listening. We'll catch you all later, and good luck this weekend. Cheers. We're finished talking.